0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Iron. Rosen traded to the Dolphins. I couldn't be more excited to become a Dolphin. Rosen looking down the field and his pass is going to be... What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Fin It to Win It. I'm Kyle Krabs, your host, and I'm really looking forward to today's show because we have some interesting dynamics to talk about today on the on Fin It to Win It. What we're going to look at is the evolving options that we're seeing the Miami Dolphins and what they'll be presented with, uh, with how they choose to attack the first round Of the 2020 NFL Draft. And I understand there's five games left this season. But Miami, after stringing together consecutive wins against the Jets. To put the Jets at 1-7. and And the Jacoby Brissett-less Indianapolis Colts. Still an impressive win nonetheless. Go on the road. Get your first road win for Brian Flores. Defense played really tough. Generated a couple turnovers. The Dolphins have lost their last two games by 17 points apiece. To the Buffalo Bills, playoff hopeful. The Cleveland Browns, a supremely talented team relative to the Miami Dolphins, who plays sloppy football and has a coach who some could argue is is in over his head. But they're in crunch time. They're fi- the Browns are now five and six. They play the Steelers this week. Browns can be Miami fans' best friends with a win over Pittsburgh to get back to six and six, because Cleveland can make a playoff push. And this week, the Dolphins play the 5-6 Philadelphia Eagles, who are in a very similar position to the Cleveland Browns. They're not as sloppy or as highly penalized as what the Cleveland Browns are, undisciplined, but they make some mistakes. The Eagles are kind of up and down, but again, it's another team that is supremely more talented than the Miami Dolphins. They're in the midst of a playoff push. They're one game behind the Dallas Cowboys, and they still have to play the Cowboys, but the Eagles have to take care of business. Uh, The Eagles play the Giants twice, the Redskins, the Cowboys, and the Dolphins. It's all there in front for the Eagles. So the Eagles are going to come into South Florida this week, and they're going to be focused, and they're probably going to take care of business, and Miami's probably going to lose by 14-plus again. And then Miami kind of has their... Stretch of reckoning, if you will. They play the Jets. I expect the Jets, who are playing much better, uh, to defeat the Dolphins. Then they have consecutive games against New York Giants and the Cincinnati Bengals before finishing with the New England Patriots. Those two games uh, may determine what is on the table for the Miami Dolphins, but I think the avenue that's most fascinating to me right now for the Dolphins is one that that a lot of people have at least inferred about throughout the course of the season, but it's been pretty difficult to get your head wrapped around that until the injury to Tua Tunga Viola because the proposition is, hey, let's take the best player available and chase young and get the quarterback later. I kind of dismissed it at first. It's like, no, Miami didn't do all this to not draft a quarterback. They need a quarterback. The entire point was to position yourselves to draft a quarterback. And then the Tua injury happens. And you come up to the hypothetical of what happens if the Dolphins get the second pick and the Cincinnati Bengals draft Joe Burrow with the first pick. Knowing the injury question marks that are going to be there for Tunga Viola, assuming he declares for the draft, and knowing that the other options for Miami is like Jake Fromm with the Texans pick, Jordan Love potentially with the Steelers pick, or Justin Herbert with their own pick, well, suddenly it becomes a lot more attractive to look at the other options. And you look at Chase Young, and he's got 16 and a half sacks this year. And Brian Flores and company were really interested in acquiring a pass rusher. I still really think pass rusher is going to be addressed in the first round in some way, shape, or form. I don't really care how they do it because if, if the plan that I've kind of built here works for Miami, that I'm all in on this possibility of drafting Chase Young with the second overall pick. And then let's pivot and use the rest of our assets. This is why Miami traded Laramie Tunsil. And it's why they were receptive and willing and understanding of, of trading a disgruntled Minka Fitzpatrick because it gives you the flexibility to manipulate the board at your disposal. So hypothetically speaking, the Miami Dolphins have, are in position and they choose to draft Chase Young with the second overall pick in 2020. Where does that leave the Dolphins in their hunt for a quarterback? I go back to what the Buffalo Bills did in 2018. In 2018 draft, uh, they were a team that was quote-unquote tanking, like the Dolphins, found some team success. They actually went 9-7 and seven and made the playoffs as a wildcard team. Uh, terrible team all around, but... They kind of followed the same mold of the Dolphins of playing disciplined, hard-nosed football. They played good defense. They kept some of their assets that Miami has since gotten rid of, like the Kenyon Drakes, Kenny Stills, Laramie Tunsil make a visit. Like you go down the list, Buffalo kept those assets where Miami valued the buy-in on maximizing your return on investment and maximizing your flexibility. The Bills go nine and seven with Tyrod Taylor, quarterback. Make the playoffs, lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the wild card round, and then they end up holding the 21st and 22nd picks in the NFL draft. And what the Bills were able to do was move up from 21 to 7 to draft Josh Allen, their, their quarterback of choice. And, you know, Josh Allen played the Dolphins every week. He'd be an all pro quarterback. That's just the unfortunate reality of the situation. And I was one of the big detractors of Josh Allen through my work for the Draft Network and uh, was really not a fan of his prospects. I said, you know, he's got obviously got raw talent and physical ability, but he wouldn't be the guy for me. I wouldn't want to pick him and, and develop him and take the risk of uh, things not materializing for Josh. Because if it doesn't, then the the results will be very ugly. And of course, as a Dolphins fan, him going to Buffalo, I'm going to be doomed to Josh Allen just kicking the Dolphins' butt every single time they play. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. Because it's provided Miami with the blueprint to draft Chase Young at two and then use some of their other assets. So let's talk about what Buffalo did here. They started with the 21st and 22nd picks. And they packaged... Offensive tackle Cordy Glenn, as a veteran, the 21st overall pick, and a 2018 fifth-round pick to send to Cincinnati, who held the 12th pick. This happened before the draft, mind you. This was like a month out ahead of the draft. And everybody said, oh, okay, here we go. Buffalo's going to get position draft quarterback. And in return, they got the 12th overall pick, so they moved up nine spots and a sixth-round pick. So they swapped a 5 for a 6, moved up 9 spots, and gave up, gave up Cordy Glenn. If you apply this trade to the draft value chart, which is uh, something that Jimmy Johnson had drawn up to kind of quantify the value of draft selections and help with, with trading draft picks. Um, Cordy Glenn was valued as approximately the 50th overall pick in the NFL draft uh, as a veteran going to Cincinnati. So I make that distinction because Miami doesn't really have a lot of vets left that they can bump that would have the value that's equivalent to what the Bengals valued Cordy Glenn at. So this would probably equate to another draft pick given up by the Dolphins. But Cordy Glenn, the 21st pick and a fifth round pick, for the 12th overall pick and a sixth round pick a month ahead of the draft. And then draft day comes and the board kind of develops and Buffalo is assessing the situation. And then they end up trading the 12th pick, which they got from Cincinnati, and two second round picks. They had the 53rd and 56th overall picks in the 2018 NFL draft. They gave them both to Tampa Bay along with the 12th pick to move up five spots, and get to seven. So if you take everything the Bills conceded in order to move up from 21 to seven and draft their QB of choice, was Cordy Glenn, who's valued at the, as the 50th overall pick in the draft according to the, the pick chart, their original first-round pick of 21st overall, and two second-round picks, the 53rd and 56th picks in the draft. So now let's go ahead and spin this back to the 2019-2020 Miami Dolphins. They draft Chase Young. Let's say worst-case scenario, Pittsburgh makes the playoffs, loses in the wild-card round. Let's put it in the 21st spot, the same spot Buffalo had to work up from. And Houston makes it to the second round. They're somewhere between 25 and 28. The Dolphins could hypothetically take, and I'm, I'm going off the pick chart here, mind you, The Dolphins could take that same 21st pick, pair both of their 2020 second-round selections, and in this hypothetical, Miami's picking Chase Young second overall, so that would give them the 34th pick in the draft. The highest second-round pick Buffalo gave up was 53. So it's an advantage of 20 spots. You give them the Saints pick as well. So you give them 21, 34, wherever the Saints end up picking, probably somewhere close to 60, and you could throw in a 2021 second round pick. You could give them the Texans. 2021 second round pick. I don't care. You can you can give them Miamis. Either one of those two second round picks. So 21st, or 21st overall pick and three second round picks. It's equivalent to the value of what Buffalo gave up to move up from 21 to 7. That would put Miami in a position to potentially get up 5, 6, 7. Whether they have to do it all at once. Or whether they have to do it in two separate trades. It it actually works out to be more points given according to the trade value chart. If you do it with the Dolphins pure picks instead of what Buffalo did with Cordy Glenn. So this is risky. It's very risky. But also Tua Tunga Viola at this point is a little bit of a risk. And you have to be willing to accept risk. Whether it's drafting Tua. Risking that he's not there. But you guarantee yourself you are getting the best player in the NFL draft at a premier position, at a position Brian Flores has coveted and has coveted since they they tried to get Jadavion Clowney to come over from the Houston Texans before the season started. And in doing it in this way, in making this trade happen in this capacity, the Dolphins would have the first-round pick, at two overall, they'd have the trade up pick from 21 to however high they have to go up to go get to a Tongue of Viola. And they still keep their other three first round picks between this year and next year. They still have the Texans pick in this hypothetical. They still have their own first round pick in 2021 and the Texans 21 first round pick. So now the Dolphins can say, "Okay, now we've got another first round pick that's going to be on the clock at the end of the first round. Let's start making calls." Sure, they can find somebody. There's a lot of action that always happens at the back end of the first round. Teams looking to trade up and jump up and get guys that they want to prioritize. Get that fifth-year team club contract option as you get with all first-round picks relative to every other pick in the draft. So Miami can then leverage that first-round pick, and they can identify, okay, is there a team in the early second round that wants to jump up? We can trade back. We can replace... Some of the assets that we've lost by moving back. Miami could hypothetically, if they trade out of the first round with the Texans pick into the second round, they could get a 2020 second round pick and a 2021 20, first or second round pick. So Miami could enter in this hypothetical, the 2020 NFL draft, with three first round picks, two second round picks two first round picks in 2021 and two second round picks in 2021 and leave with Tua Tunga Viola and Chase Young, a second round pick in 2020, two first round picks in 2021 and two second round picks in 2021. Is anybody, is anybody going to say no to this hypothetical? Please raise your hand so I can mute you, block you, unfollow you. Whatever social media that you're, you're absorbing my content on, I need you out of my life. Because that is a home run proposition for the Miami Dolphins. Best player available, QB1. Still have at least a pick in every round. Still have two, two picks in each of the first two rounds in 2021. That's not even to say they, they might choose to get aggressive. That's say, okay, let's take 68 in our first round pick this year and move up to one of the first picks in the second round and keep the, the Texans pick. There's so many different ways that this thing can go, and that's why you know, people are, are going to be really harsh uh, about the Dolphins. And, well, you, you traded Tunsil, and you're going to have to draft a left tackle anyway or a right tackle if you draft Tua. And Yes, but if you're going to hit the reset button and you're going to go back to square one, why not go back to square one? And why not buy yourself as much flexibility to maximize your value of all your assets? And paying Laramie Tunsil a big old chunk of change to, come to, to stay in Miami starting next year when the team's probably going to go 6-10 and 10 isn't the best business. Not when you can get two second-round picks, you can focus on rebuilding, assessing your roster in 2019, identifying the keeper parts, and now you've got the cash at your disposal. That for what you could pay, you'd pay Laramie Tuncey. You can pay 26-year-old Andrus Pete from the New Orleans Saints in free agency, and potentially sign a, a slot receiver that's going to replace Albert Wilson. And Miami's probably gonna cut Albert Wilson this year and save themselves ten million dollars against the cap next year, too. It's like Miami's probably gonna cut Rashad Jones. He could go out and like you can get so much more if you don't play the pay the blue chip players and you find your blue chip players through the draft, and you get four or five years of rookie wage scale with your blue chip cornerstone players. And I understand Miami. Signs Zavian Howard, but the way Miami signed Xavier Howard is they gave him all his guaranteed money in the first two years and said, okay, let's make sure Xavier knee is okay because he's on IR with a knee issue yet again. But by the time Miami is ready to compete, Zavian Howard will be a friendly contract to trade if the injury issues persist or his cap hit will be minimal because they rolled all the guaranteed money on top of his base salary into this year and next year when Miami has all the cap space in the world. So for people that want to cast the point finger at Chris Greer, and, well, Chris Greer's been here since 2016, and Chris Greer didn't draft Lamar Jackson, and blah, 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 blah. Let's be honest. Does anybody trust Adam Gase with constructing an offense for Lamar Jackson the way that Greg Roman, John Harbaugh, and the Baltimore Ravens have? No. And that's the same thing as like we think about Carson Wentz or Patrick Mahomes potentially going to Cleveland. Do we know they're any good? Like, I'm sure they're 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 good players, but are they the transcendent superstars that they are now? Or are those players able to shine and showcase every bit of their talent because they're in the right situation? And I'm sorry. But you can't tell me Miami, with the coaching staff they had in place, the philosophy that the team implemented at that point in time, would have been a favorable spot for Lamar Jackson to come in and showcase his talent. That's a big part of any player coming into the league and playing at an extremely high level, is the fit, the surrounding, the culture, the, the ability to build around it. And with Mike Tannenbaum at the top of the organization, and Adam Gase as the head coach, and Loggins as the offensive coordinator... That wasn't going to happen for Lamar Jackson in Miami. So you can blame Steve Ross, if you want, for hiring the wrong guy back in 2016. In hindsight, yes, you could say, wow, I really wish Miami would have drafted Lamar Jackson. But I'm going to tell you right now, the Lamar Jackson that we are seeing tear the league apart week in and week out this year, you wouldn't see that guy in Miami. No way, because Miami... Maybe has a regime change. Maybe they don't have a regime change. Can't imagine they'd win many more than the seven games they won last year anyway. It, it, it's a big domino effect that's way too messy to start doing predictions and, and predict exactly what would have happened. But one thing that is for sure is the, the people that Miami had in organizational power when the time came to draft Lamar Jackson would not have done Lamar Jackson the service that you're seeing the Baltimore Ravens deal. That much I am completely confident in saying. Something else I'm confident in saying is that we are getting close to the end of the show, so it's time for some rapid-fire takes on some of the relevant storylines over the course of the past couple of days, week, approximately. Uh, The first one that came to my mind was Jarvis Landry uh, played his first game against the Miami Dolphins. Log 10 catches, 148 yards, two touchdowns, should come to the surprise of absolutely positively no one who has followed the Miami Dolphins for an extended period of time. Former Dolphins always do this. They crush Miami when they have the chance to play them again. Landry, no exception. Uh, if you remember, Jarvis Landry was traded to Cleveland uh, because in part Miami didn't want to pay him, but also in part because Adam Gase didn't like having such a strong personality in your locker room and thought getting rid of Landry would help the harmony of the team. It was part of Gase's master scheme to get quote unquote his guys in the building and uh, inevitably his custom built roster of custom handpicked guys for himself lost the locker room by the end of the year anyway. But I digress. Let's stay on task with Jarvis. Jarvis said, uh, he talked to Hal Habib uh, of the Palm Beach uh, Post, talking about life in Cleveland after Miami. And, you know, he was very candid in talking about once he was drafted in Miami, he thought he was going to spend the rest of his career here and didn't think he did anything wrong. And, And Jarvis said this direct quote, I'm blessed. I love walking in here, being Cleveland, and shaking everybody's hands, some things I didn't necessarily have in Miami. It's a lot of appreciation, genuine people, a lot of love, and that goes a long way. When you walk into work and can actually be happy, and people are happy to see you, and you're happy to see them, it goes a long way. Well, that says quite a bit about what life was like in Miami, um, regardless of whether Jarvis is talking about 2015 2015, Uh, 2014-2015 before Adam Gase got there or 2015 or 2016-2017 when Landry was on the team with Gase. um, That's a pretty damning quote as far as what life is like in Miami or what life was like in Miami. And I think that's why I have such an appreciation for what the Dolphins have chose to do. With their rebuild, which is they got rid of everybody all at once. They had a general manager who was actively a part of the the hiring process. Chris Greer and Brian Flores both talk quite frequently about being on the same page and having communication every single day. The Dolphins will not win without that because every single good organization has that. And Miami hasn't had that for a really long time. But they do now. It just needs to stay that way. So that's why this next 12 months, 16, 18 months of the Miami Dolphins organization is so critical to what their future looks like. Another one that stood out to me was Ryan Tannehill is thriving in Tennessee. He's 4-1 as a starter uh, for the Tennessee Titans since getting inserted into the lineup. He has the Titans sitting at 6-5. They're tied with the Steelers, the Colts, and numerous other teams for playoff positioning. And no matter what you thought of Ryan Tannehill before he left Miami, while he was in Miami, no matter what you thought, everybody can get on the same page now that we are all rooting for Ryan Tannehill to continue this hot start. Tennessee has five games left. They're 4-1 and one in their first five with Tannehill as a starter. Let me tell you why. Tennessee Titans still have to play the Indianapolis Colts the Oakland Raiders, both of which are 6-5, and five, and they have two games left against the Houston Texans. There is a very real possibility if Tennessee, which is one of the hottest teams in football, wins each of their next two games against Oakland, who just got dumped on by New York, and Indianapolis, who just lost a heartbreaking game to Houston with first place on the division line, Tennessee could potentially bump a four and seven Houston team, they would bump Houston. They would bump a four and seven Houston team out of the division title if they s- win those four games. They still have to play the Saints. It's probably gonna be a loss. If Tennessee wins Houston twice, Oakland and Indianapolis, like it's mathematically done. The Titans will win the division. Or at least have the advantage over the Texans in the AFC South. Why does that benefit us? Because if the Texans don't make, uh, don't win the division title, they don't get a home playoff game. If they go ten and six at a minimum, that mean, means they have to win the rest three games, no questions asked. If they go nine and seven instead of ten and six, Houston might miss the playoffs altogether, which would be a boom for the Dolphins, obviously owning their first round draft selection this year. So. That's what we're looking at. That, that's a very reali- realistic possibility that Ryan Tannehill, after being traded to Tennessee, takes over midway through the season, kind of sticks it in the Dolphins' face to say, you guys had bad environment, bad supporting cast. I'm in Tennessee. or I've got the best offensive line I've had in my career, probably the exception being 2016, until he got hurt. Had the best running running game I've ever had the ability to lean on. I have some of the best skill players I've ever had the chance to lean on with. Corey Davis, Derrick Henry, uh, A.J. Brown has been a a revelation for the Titans as a rookie this year. Tannehill with a strong supporting cast turns out he could be pretty darn good. Now, I hope he keeps sticking in Miami's face and continues to be really darn good to the point where he pushes the Texans out of the playoffs. Because that's a dream come true for us. And the other team we're really rooting for is the Cleveland Browns. They continue their strong playoff push. They beat the Steelers this week. They could push the Steelers out of the playoffs, moving them to 6-6. Six and six, Playing with their third-string quarterback without their starting wide receiver, without their starting running back. Mike Pouncey suspended. This thing might turn for Miami yet. So get excited for that. I certainly know I'm excited to see how things play out over the course of the next five weeks, but we're getting down to crunch time, which is why you need to hit subscribe on Finna to Win It. You need to come back, check us out. Next week, uh, we're going to be outlining some more of the, the Dolphins' plans for the offseason, and we'll be outlining this critical three-game stretch of Jets, Giants, and Bengals that the Dolphins are going to be facing after this weekend's game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Thanks, as always, for listening to Fin to Win It. I'll talk with you guys again soon.